This fascinating story from John 4 leaves me with at least one question. Did Jesus ever get his drink? Well, here we are, gathered for corporate worship on a Sunday morning. And as Judy mentioned in opening words, we come with all our varied experiences. That's how we come. We come bringing lots of stuff that hardly anybody knows about. It's stuff of this past week. It might be stuff of the past month. It might be stuff from the past year or years. It's part of us. We bring it along with us. We can't, unfortunately, we can't check it at the door. The stuff of life stays with us. It just does. And so it may concern our personal health issues. It may concern financial issues. It may concern worrying about our jobs. It might be concern over children or grandchildren. There's all kinds of things we could mention as this is what we bring along with us when we gather. Our fears, our hopes, all of it. We gather with all of this. I'm also aware that we are fairly different. I look over who's here and there's a fairly large age span. We've got several generations represented. We've got differing amounts of education among us and different kinds of education. We've got different socioeconomic levels among us. And we're quite different in our personalities and preferences. I'm assuming there are extroverts among us who would like to have a little more life and excitement and interaction in our worship time. And I'm assuming there are some introverts among us who are just terrified that somebody might say, stand up and greet your neighbor. And then we have Enneagram types. Some of us are a little familiar with Enneagram. Enneagram type ones we probably have among us who would like the service to be perfect and to fit together perfectly and to make sense. And then we have the fives who say, well, we need a little bit more information. There should be more history, more background, more information in the service. And we have the nines who just want everything to be nice. Can we just get along and not rock the boat? We're all here. We gather for worship as a body of believers. I also recently came across the, uh, some comments about the Wizard of Oz Church. You know the Wizard of Oz Church? They do scarecrow worship. It would be better if it had a brain. And they do tin man worship. It would be better if it had a heart. Well, I've been thinking about why do we gather as believers? Why do we gather Sunday mornings in our respective congregations and churches? 
with all our differences and personal preferences, is it really, is it realistic that we can all gather and worship together and be okay with that? Is it any wonder that there have been worship wars throughout the church? I read a story about a farmer who lived out on the Great Plains. He was a member of his small rural congregation, sang in the little church choir, had never been off, off the farm. That was his life. Never traveled to the city. But one day his church choir made a trip to the city, and when he got home, his wife asked him what he saw and what he learned. And he told her all about the big trip in the city, and he said, in fact, our group went to a big church on Sunday, a large congregation. They had a really big choir. And you know what he said? They sang an anthem. Well, what's an anthem, she asked. Well, he replied, you know, we sing hymns here at our church. Now, if I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, amen, that would be a hymn. But if I were to say, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the little cows, the black cows, the red cows, the green cows, all the cows, all the cows, all the cows are in the corn, the corn, the corn, the corn, amen, 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 that would be an anthem. Our culture does come into play when it comes to worship. And according to our scripture lesson, worship was even an issue in Jesus' day. How should we worship? Where should we worship? What's the right way? This John 4 story is just remarkable. As I sat and listened to it again this morning, I thought, how many different ways to approach this story? And all the weavings in and out of the conversation. And you say, oh, she didn't get it. Oh, does Jesus get it? Oh, well, now, wait a minute. What's going on here in this conversation? And I'm amazed at how Jesus was the master at relating to people. Just a couple remembrances of how he related to people. When he met Nicodemus, he told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again. And then he met the woman who was caught in adultery, and he told her, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. And he met the rich young ruler, and he said to him, go sell what you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And then there was Zacchaeus. Jesus said, I want to come to your house, invited himself. And we have no record of any critique of Zacchaeus' lifestyle, behaviors, etc. But Zacchaeus, on his own, said, Lord, if I've wronged anyone, I'm going to pay him back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And then we have this woman of Samaria. Jesus did not have one formula for how to interact with people, except he listened. He listened to everyone's heart. He listened to their point of need, and he addressed it as a master. Some people like to look at John 4 as an evangelism passage. This is how you do evangelism. Some people think it provides a model for spiritual direction. And today we're looking at this passage to say, what can we learn 
about worship. I think it's interesting to note that when Jesus got personal with this woman, like started to talk about her marriages, and think about it. How scary would it be to have conversation with a stranger and suddenly this stranger starts telling you about your personal life? I'd want to change the subject too. Let's talk about worship. We can maybe have some controversy over that. But notice what Jesus says about worship. And I take these two verses, 23 and 24, from Eugene Peterson's rendering in the message. I invite you just to listen. Jesus said, It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before God in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship God must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. What do we learn? Well, spirit is really important. The spirit that we bring to worship. Maybe it has something to do with attitude, motivation, purpose, openness, preparation. Do we consider those kinds of things as we anticipate gathering for Sunday morning worship? Another key word Jesus mentioned is truth. Truth. Could that have something to do with integrity? Maybe confession? Maybe willingness to learn and change? Maybe coming to worship and having dealt with, not checked at the door because we really can't, but having dealt with our bitterness, our anger, our unforgiveness. And I recall Jesus' words elsewhere in Matthew 5.23 when he said, when you come to offer your gift at the altar and remember that there's something wrong between you and another, go be reconciled before you offer your gift. Then come. And for our, us as Anabaptists, we have held on to this idea that how we come to God depends on how we relate to each other. That it's not just about God and me, but it's about us and God, too, how we get along with each other. I noticed when Jesus talked about worship with this woman of Samaria, he didn't mention right beliefs or right doctrine or rules and regulations. He didn't even make a comment about her five husbands. Right worship is the true definition of orthodoxy. I heard someone talk about that recently and, and how we use the word orthodoxy to think of, well, that's the way, that's the right beliefs or right doctrine. But in its original use, in the early church, the word orthodoxy meant right worship. Worship in spirit and in truth. The early church believed that worship would keep the church unified. Not a list of doctrinal statements. Not a creed. Not rules of conduct, but worship. The liturgy is significant. 
As I reflect just briefly on worship, I'm aware of how what I bring to this gathering determines in large part my worship experience. How I come to worship gathering is often an indication of the kind of worship experience I will have. In fact, I wonder if it's possible for me to worship in a corporate setting like this on a Sunday morning if I have not been worshiping as a person individually and privately during the week. Is it realistic to think that people who have not worshipped as individuals can suddenly come together and worship as a group? I invite you to ponder that question. And I was thinking that maybe our worship is like being part of an orchestra. An orchestra doesn't just come together and make great music. But between the performances, individuals practice and they play the music. And they're disciplined. And then when they come together, they make the beautiful music. I wonder if that's what our worship experience is like. As I reflect on worship, I'm aware that there have been times when I have come to worship services over the years when I've been moved, moved emotionally, moved to tears by a hymn, by a prayer by a scripture reading, by a greeting of someone. And I, I reflected and said, is, was that about the content? Was it about the person leading? And I ended up saying, no. You know what it was about? It was about me. It was about the stuff I was bringing along. And how it moved me was because of what I was bringing I'm ready to say that worship is less about content and more about process. That there's something mysterious about gathering together, joining together in song, in prayers, and hearing the scriptures. Just being together may be more significant than we realize. And while content, form, and style have their importance, they ultimately give way to process, to the ritual, to the practice, to the routine, to the discipline, to the custom, if you will. And I could pull out various scriptures which talk about people operating according to custom when God broke in and revealed something, like Zechariah, when he's at his, taking his turn as a priestly function, as was his custom, the angel appeared. When Jesus came to the temple, as was his custom, and picked up the scroll and read it. Customs, they're important. Having a custom, a pattern, a ritual can carry the freight of worship for us. Worship is not about reinventing the wheel every Sunday. Perhaps we Mennonites might learn some added significance of place and of ritual and of symbols. Symbols like candles, a cross, a painting, anointing oil, an altar, 
the laying on of hands, etc. I believe that God most desires our worship. More than our great acts of service and evangelism. Or perhaps another way of saying it is that our acts of service and evangelism only have integrity as they grow out of our worship and a life of worship. So let us continue learning how to worship God in spirit and in truth. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, sometimes we've been very slow learners. Sometimes we've refused to learn because we had our minds made up. But let us today begin to open up ourselves to spirit and truth. Let us join together with all our stuff in life and look to you as God, the healer, the redeemer, the one who provides healing and hope for us, your people. Amen.